This is the audio podcast episode 100, the big one oh oh. Woohoo! It's awesome stuff. It is, what is it? It is January the 21st, 2014, and this is the audio podcast. It is indeed. My name is Samuel Freeman, and this is show 100, the big oh oh. You can find the notes and follow along at, lo- at home with the audiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash 100. Um, and I, I, Adam Yanch, and don't forget, you can get in contact with the audio podcast in a number of ways, and uh, I'm going to pass you on to find out about that situation. So to get in contact with us, you can get to us via Twitter at the audio podcast, where we do try and reply more often. You can also find us at Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash the audio podcast. You can get us on Google Plus as well. And on YouTube at youtube.com slash the audio podcast, where you can also subscribe and watch the show being recorded live. I guess there's also email as well, which is show at the audio podcast.co.uk. I'm Scott Hewitt. That's enough of the starting bump of the show. I think we should get straight into the news. Indeed, indeed. And to start off uh, this show, oh, it's a, it's a new interface. And, uh, and who's brought it to us? It's Motu. Woohoo! It's this is brand, awesome. It is. It? It's a new 828. It's not been one of them. It's a new 828! Do <laughs> you think one day they might call it the 829? No. No, this one's called the 828X. And uh, the most important thing about this is it's a Thunderbolt interface. So that's good for us Mac users. And also for your PC users, you've got the upgraded version of USB. So USB 3. Mm. So and otherwise, it... it looks pretty much like a kind of standard 828, like the previous 828. It's got two mic preamps on the front. It's got two separate headphone outputs on the front, and then you've got your jacks and your ADATs and stuff on the back for connecting to various things. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. So it's it's similar to an 828 Mark. It, it's similar to an 828 Mark III. You get twin. Uh, twin headphone outputs on the front of it with independent volume controls and a sign. The standard kind of mic trim option that you've normally got. If I remember correctly, there is now two sends on two sends on it, um, as the insert outs have been taken out. So rather than getting inserts on the main stereo output, now there are two actual independent sends which you can return through cabling back into QMix, and QMix understands the, the presence of them as well. There's also a timecode in out now available as well as just um, as well as that. Um, Spidif twin banks of Spidif, which I'm guessing yes, I can see from the front cover you can clock them up to double speed and still a good old um, MIDI in MIDI out option as well. Um, who put this story up? Because I noticed that on the back of the case it says USB two. I was going to mention that, yeah. And on the front, um, of, and the front it says USB two as well. So where's the USB three confirmed coming from? I know? I put it up, and if you actually read the website, it says USB three. Oh. Mm. I'm going to the tech spec. Talk amongst yourselves. So oh, yeah. Uh, I w- I would suggest that maybe we should uh, tweet, um, Motu. And remember, it's Motu Tech at Motu Tech, not at Motu. And actually, tell them maybe they've got their images wrong for that website. But I didn't actually notice that particular error on the actual. So this is on the photographs on the website, is it? The photograph on the website yeah, says USB two, but oh, yes. I think the reason is in on the technical specification it says it requires Thunderbolt or high speed USB two, and then in brackets it has or three So I think the point they're making is is that you require USB two. But you can also use the USB 3.0. Right. That's the, job, mi- the minimum you need to in your computer is two. But if you have three, it'll make use of the extra speed, I guess. That's pretty cool. I have an interesting observation from the uh, technical spec. Just as I'm reading my way through them here, I, it says here that you um, it says that the Mac system requirements and the Windows system requirements are are a large hard drive. So Ooh. I I read that statement and immediately thought to myself, this is for the driver install. You know, yeah. What sort of size driver? So I don't know if either of you've read it, but would you like to make a guess as to what sort of size hard drive they would recommend? Oh, um, 500 megabytes. Any any ideas? Any offers beyond that, Sam? <laughs> no, no, that's no, I'm going to see. I'm, let's see what it <laughs> says. What what is their definition of large then? Does it give a number? Oh, it gives a number. So according to the technical specifications of Motu, they would recommend that you would require a large hard drive to use this device. Preferably at least 250 gig. 
that is one serious driver. <laughs> I, I was well under that, well under. I was thinking large about 10 years ago, large, you know. I, I presume I presume that they're making the point that if you're going to record at high res, you need a lot of hard drive space to record to, and therefore you should... You, I'm presuming it's recording space is what they've rolled into this. It isn't yeah. a, you know, this is right. the world's biggest driver ever. I'm assuming also <laughs> because it's Motu, we're going to have like class-leading uh, driver compatibility. So you could buy one of those when it's released, and in 20 years' time you'll probably still be able to use it on the latest computers of the day, as long as there's a way of actually connecting the computer Do to you, the interface. Do you notice uh, what support is missing, though? Um, I'm just looking at the supported operating systems here. This is oh, OS X no... version 10.6 <gasps> and Vista upwards, so no 10.0, oh. no XP. No XP. No XP. Well, How about you know, that? XP is almost out of its support window, and, and Microsoft keep extending the support window because people are just absolutely unwilling to ditch XP. And uh, I think it's about time Microsoft just put their foot down and said, no, no more support, upgrade to Vista at the very least. <laughs> but actually up, upgrade to 7 because uh, 7's largely regarded as a good update, so... Anyway, I mean, that's that's nothing to do with music technology. That's just general advice. General, general advice there. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see this. I'm saying as a as a Motu hardware user, I'm I'm running through an um, ultralight preamp right now. I had my 828 in the other room that I sometimes broadcast from. You know, I mean, I'm, th this was, for me, there was never any chance of being able to go beyond this until, you know, un until we went elsewhere. So it's nice that it's kind of, you know, so Scott, does this mean that you might actually now upgrade your computer? Because there is a Motu upgrade path for the interface. It it means that the fundamental reason I couldn't upgrade no longer exists. I would I would concede that. I just don't. I I don't know. Like I'm I'm not sure. Like I'll be honest with you. Right now I'm I'm while I'm talking to you and I'm using a Motu preamp and I'm using that to do it. The Hangout wouldn't actually support the headphone out properly, so I've had to plug in another pair of headphones into the direct into the Mac out to get them to my ears. And to be honest, I I am thinking of buying a new computer, but I'm kind of I spend I spend my life in a Linux environment, and I'm kind of thinking I'm going to just buy, you know, not buy Mac and buy something to run a year as a Linux box and. So I, I don't know. I, I can't decide yet what I'm going to do. But, and Let's I suspect see, that Thunderbolt's, uh, Thunderbolt's support on Linux is basically nothing. So <laughs> it's going to be a concern for the near future. So and I have two perfectly good working Firewire sound cards with machines that work perfectly fine with them. And I suspect we'll do for until, you know, well, they will work fine. I've stopped updating both of them, and they're fine. So. Well, remember, Scott, if you buy a new computer and a new audio interface, those bits of hardware will not disappear. That's but true. software, that's another matter. Now, with the, uh, the new 828X, uh, there are a number of different DAWs you could use. You could use Logic. You could use D Digital Performer, Cubase. You could also use Pro Tools. Hmm. And we are excited to be able to report to you that Pro Tools and Avid are rewriting the version number usage ideas and are just going for what can only be referred to as high-frequency updates. So, Ooh. was it last week or was it the week before when an update was It was, was last week. We had 11.1.1. It was good numbers. Already. And this week, now, we can report 11.1.2. Now, I, I don't want to comment. I haven't installed the update. I haven't installed the last update. Let's talk about installing updates in a minute. I have my suspicions that this one of the things this fixes, it was actually cited as being fixed last time. <laughs> and so, I found that funny. <laughs> and but Having discussed uh, Pro Tools updates with a degree of sensibility yes, last week, I thought we could take a more flippant approach this week. So uh, I picked up my update highlights here. So you'll be happy to hear, I'm sure, Adam, that Pro Tools no longer quits unexpectedly on launch when with networked home folders. Oh, great. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it was That was plaguing me to the end of the earth, and now it's fixed. Fantastic. And another problem which has been fixed, which I would argue never needed to be fixed, but Pro Tools now recognize Finder folders that contain a forward slash in their name. Who oh, puts a forward slash in their folder name? Well, Scott, I'll tell you what, that is supported in MacOS. It didn't used to be, but it is 
it is actually possible for you to do that. And it used to be a problem when using MaxMSP, and if you had a MaxMSP folder with a forward slash in, Max hated it, but the actual computer was fine. The, the file system was fine with it, but Max couldn't deal with it, so you just had to change the name of the folder. But it's just crazy. That that's just crazy. Having a forward slash in a file name is crazy. That's like how that's how the command line delimitates folder structures. It's how URLs delimitate themselves. Why would you why would you ever think, oh I think it'd be a good idea to call my folder something now I understand because you would say, you know, something slash something. I understand that, like as a as a kind of turn of phrase, but really it's not a good, you know. It's not good practice. I, I think we can blame the people who invented the you know Linux, uh, Unix file system for actually using the forward slash. Hey, at least in Windows, they used the backslash to do that. That's true. But do you guys think about this? Um, now, I do joke because I'm fairly certain that this is not the beginning of weekly Pro Tools updates. Um, <laughs> but I... And I and I suspect. Oh, I do hope it is now, Scott. <laughs> I do hope that it is. Oh, it'd be awesome if it was, wouldn't it? Just every week is an update. We could we could change our name to from the audio podcast to the Pro Tools Update Blog. <laughs> Just every also week. known as Avid Troll. Um, <laughs> Avid Troll. <laughs> We could. That'd be awesome. We should just have our own dummy releases of things. Just well, I'll tell you this. Hey, at least <laughs> at least they're getting the out, updates out now. I'll tell you what. Uh, previous listeners of the show will know that I've upgraded to Logic Pro X. Pro X. And Pro X. You, you know what? It's actually it's it is very buggy. And it's not buggy in a huge way that really stops you from from actually working, but. There are lots of little things that are wrong with it which are really irritating and we're not getting a new update every week, you know. There was one two weeks ago and it didn't fix the problems I was having. So there you go. But Adam, Adam, have you reported it? Have you filed it? You know, are you are you sending in I think I I think I have. I think I've done that, but I just don't know. It's it's very vague because the way that Apple does it is you can do it this way or that way, and you don't get a a thing that says that they received it. And I I don't know. I, I I'm I'm a bit annoyed about it, and I'd probably wait until if you haven't updated yet, maybe wait until ten point one version ten point one, where hopefully they should sort out all those problems. But yeah, um, I'd say Avid at least you know still actively working on Pro Tools and trying to improve it. So good. Good for them. Shall we move on through the recording chain? We've talked about audio interfaces and software, but if we're going to listen to any of this, then speakers, monitors, studio amplified things is what we need. And Genelec have some new ones, some 8010s. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. They look exactly like their other small <laughs> Genelec speakers. <laughs> but apparently they're different. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And I mean, what what is... Can we figure out the difference? I mean, is it tangible? Well, they... It is and it isn't. I'm saying there's a lot of intangible bump of things that are changing. The stats are 96 dB uh, SPL out of it, and they have plus or minus 25 dB accuracy between 74 hertz and 20 kilohertz. So that is a kind of expansion in terms of the accuracy range and a slight yeah. raising in, in the kind of SPL on it as well. Um, these are cool units, though, aren't they? I, do, you know, do you know this sort of size unit? I do, and yeah, they are great. They, I think this one is slightly smaller than the ones I'm familiar with, but that's probably going more towards the older square ones. I forget their number. They were like, they oh. were solid. But with these kind of curly edge ones, it looks like it shouldn't work, but they sit on their little isopod, I think they call it. Yeah. So, ah, so these are the second size up from the smallest, effectively. They are now, yeah. The 6010B is the smallest. Yeah, I've just gone to the website and was having a look at that. You know what? I say this to any, whenever the conversation turns to Genelex, I always have to put my hand up and admit that I just can't mix with them. I, all the mixing I've tried to do with Genelex has always ended up being really bassy and without any high end because maybe I find them a bit too harsh to mm. mix with. So I, I'll, I'll just go my own way with speakers. I don't think Genelex are 100% necessary. Well, that's that's that that's fair enough. I'm saying you, you you have to choose what you like, and then you know, kind of off off a big big love to it as well. If you really if you really do like it, but um, the thing I love about these 8010, this kind of 80, this sort of size Genelec is they're absolutely brilliant for installation work. Um, if you need to put an installation in place, 
then you can, you know you need to get main you need to get power to it and you can just send it an XLR cable and it's really simple and really easy and if you need to dismantle your installation at the end of the day or something like that or you know set it up take it apart and set it up every day for security point reasons and things like that then these are nice easy units to kind of put in place and kind of discreetly hide in for kind of if you want to diffuse around the room and things like that so that's why I've used them the most for I, I like like Adam would say that I don't tend to mix them but I don't like mixing on general but I do like really really like these small units for installation work. Now, I think there's another aspect to the recording chain that Sam actually jumped when he jumped from Pro Tools to to the uh, 8010 Genelex, and that is what are the things that other things other than uh, other than recording, say, guitars and vocals that uh, you can actually put into your system? Well, I'll tell you one thing, and that's synthesizers. There are some new Moog. Uh, is is it multiple or is it just a single one? The notes are a bit ambiguous on this. Well, there is rumor. That the expectation is there will be two synths uh, released, announced or released or at least previewed by Moog Music at NAM, which obviously starts on Thursday this week. Um, but what they did last, what they did last week was they released a a, a photo of the interface of the Sub Thirty Seven. So that's that's what it is. And is that a kind of that sounds to me like a bass esque type synth, just from the name sub, but I can't be sure that that's the way they're going with that. Well, you you can only yeah I'm saying at this point yes we could you know I mean yes I I, I would agree it probably is and some sort of rich harmonic kind of element to it as well. Uh, you know I I, I think it's, it's going to offer as a kind of rich sort of pad. You know, pad to it as well. Was there not a a sub thirty seven, uh, a Moog sub thirty seven though? Was that not a was that not uh, a synth? Originally, I I've never heard I'm of thinking one history of those. here. here I've we not go, heard of one of those. I think we've lost. Have we lost? We've lost Sam. I've seen Sam kind of say things, but not heard him say anything for a while. Yeah. It's, it's just a chat, mouth that's moving. That he, he, uh, we can see <laughs> you, Sam. We can see you, but we can't hear you. Oh no! Have you? Has he muted himself? We're just trying to fix my... Shall I, shall I mute Sam? I'll mute Sam and then unmute him and see if that resolves the problem. Maybe okay. Help. And if... Oh. <laughs> words. <laughs> Sam is saying words. All right, Sam is now okay. muted. I'm now going so to unmute un Unmute him. I'm unmuting him. Oh, no. How do I unmute takes, him? I think it takes time. Try. It might just be a delay. Oh. This is, this is not very... This is, oh, there it goes. No, Sam. Sam, we'll keep going, and you do a, a reboot or whatever you need to do. And, and then, we'll then I, well, when you that. drop out, Sam, I'll send you an I'll send you another invitation as soon as you've dropped out. There you go. Make sure you get back in. Right. So, um, so I, I I don't know if there is if there was a sub thirty seven. I've never heard of it as an old Moog synthesizer, but uh, perhaps there was. Perhaps there was. I seem to remember it wasn't, but no, I, th I think it's going to be it, it is going to be like a paraphonic kind of a rich sort of textural kind of element there from Moog, which is which is fair enough. I'm saying there's a lot of demand for that kind of stuff at the moment, isn't there? And I think people are starting to, you know, start, starting that, to expect that. And it is the season for releasing this stuff, isn't it? Well, it's an interesting uh, synth architecture. Is paraphony, if I understand it correctly, it's kind of based around the organ divider technology. So it, mm -hmm. you get more notes out of your oscillators by dividing what the oscillators have uh, down and then but then rather than each note being individually articulated uh, as in a full polyphonic synth uh, it just runs through one whole set of uh, filters and amps so um, it's maybe not quite as flexible as a full polyphonic synth but I suppose maybe they're going for a, a, a particular style of synth that doesn't get very much uh, mention nowadays because it's so easy with digital stuff. It's to make a full polyphonic synth. And this is yeah, an that, old that... architecture from before they could actually get it done properly. Yeah, that, that, that is very interesting, the, the idea of these other kind of synthesis architectures because so many so many synthesis techniques have been have been left and replaced by the kind of more recent methods because of the perceived benefits of them and you even get to the point where people 
resynthesize old synthesis sounds using new methods because it's obviously cheaper to just have async focused around a method or a small group of methods in, in a kind of way of doing that, isn't it? But it does then mean that you maybe lose the uniqueness of the kind of sound that you're looking, you know, you lose some of the kind of extremes of the synthesis, of the older synthesis possibilities. They kind of disappear yeah. and become unavailable. And then when you reintroduce, you know, something like this you get the opportunity to get back to those sounds those extremes of the possibilities and those kind of sounds that are available there well that uh, that kind of scruffy sound now I think uh, means that Sam is back and has audio Sam can you hear us I can hear you can you hear me yay Hurrah. are we done with the sub 37 then unless you have anything you want to remark about it um Possibly, but I don't know what's been said, so I'll let it, I'll let it go. It's all we right. I'm happy to. We were talking about paraphony and synthesizer uh, architectures for, mm. uh, for a couple of minutes. We'll talk but... about synthesizers again in a minute, though, so you can, you know, join in with that further. So, so, you want to. So, Where so are we I'll... going next, though? You guys have just been erratically jumping around the show notes, so I was just going to let one of you guys Really? Talk. I thought I was in I... order. Uh, well, I mean, we were in order. We just missed the that one, and I think we should now jump to the C entrance mixer face. Mixer face. Mixer um, face. Yeah, this is a product that's been developed and prototyped and made and is ready to go, but as part of their marketing for it, they're running a Indiegogo campaign where you can get hold of the first run for a discount price. And a significant discount price as well, because they're supposed to. How much do they? They'll the regular price is six hundred dollars, and the cheapest you can get them for now, I believe, is two hundred and ninety-nine. So half price if you were to. But let us say what it is that they can get. It is a. Um, it's a portable audio interface. It's for your iThing or USB connection and it's got two mic preamps and that's about it but it makes it small and form factor is matched to iPhone yeah it, it offers phantom power phantom power and it has its own battery as well so you get the you don't lose any battery life running it it supplies its own battery it has its own battery built in and supplies its own battery life so it offers quite a lot for there's a lot of other products in this space that don't have their own battery so you essentially lose you know lose battery, you have to use the battery life of the device to charge it, power it, and obviously that reduces it. So, I thought, I thought it was cool. It was a neat, a, a nice size package, actually, I thought. Did you guys not think so? Yeah, I like the look of it, and I like the fact that the if you're using an iPhone, you can actually put it on the side, and then it looks like there are these little rubber bands that strap the iPhone on by the top and the bottom onto the actual unit. So it's kind of like then holding a proper recorder-type device. That's cool. It, I like um, it. Yeah. It's minor technicality. Like it says that you could the it's independent phantom power, but actually it's you can either have the phantom power off or sent to the left or sent to the left and right. You couldn't send it just to the right. Oh, okay. So well, that's okay. <laughs> if, if, if you if you have say a ribbon microphone, you just have to remember to plug the ribbon mic into the right hand side. And you'll know that it'll definitely be safe, and you can't accidentally send it that way. So that's, yes. Yeah. Well, you, you oh, no, could. Yes. Oh, I'm but about. it's it, yeah. you could run. Phantom power on the other side, and it's okay. Um, and, that, and that's a physical switch, isn't it? Yes. It's not that you can just get the device and turn it over, and that changes the phantom power side. No idea. No idea. Sorry, but then, I was just saying that so, would be like the least, if you imagine, like, left, right. If that was how you changed the phantom power sign, that would be really inconvenient. Yes. Or really depending on how how you like to work with stuff. Now, software for the for the mixer face is whatever software you can get on an iPad, so or on an iPhone. So they have on their Indiegogo page, they've got Twisted Wave and Aurea, but you know, there's also Cubasis and GarageBand. That'll all work with it because I believe that it will just interface using the standard system. Now, I'm interested to know, because I know you guys are kind of uh, not i-device-deviced out, but uh, w would you consider buying this interface? And especially if you could get $300 off it. Yes, I'm, I was actually quite tempted. Um, but mm. certainly by the concept and the idea of it. This is having something with good quality preamps, and essentially just treating your device as a large 
you know, as a hard drive to store the data on, as a as a device to move the data to somewhere else, and to provide visual feedback about what you're doing. I thought this had a lot of really a lot of really strong kind of cool benefits to it. And the size and the layout of it were probably two of the key two of the key things actually. I was just thinking because carrying that device in comparison to say the DRO5 that I carry with me most of the time now, um, they're of a similar size, admittedly slightly bigger, but a similar size and it's only really the cable and the extra mics, but for that I'd get a much better recording than what the DRO5 offers. So I'd probably be tempted to I'm I'm I'd probably be tempted. I'm not going to, but I would <laughs> be tempted. I, I think if of all of the products we've seen in this space, this is the one. Like in my mind, this is the one which is it's well considered, it's well thought out, it's built well, it's to built to a high specification, and at the price they intend to sell it at, I think it's probably that's probably the right price. And the fact that you can get it cheaper through the Indiegogo right now makes it for me. If you're looking for this kind of device, this is I would go. I would go this way. I go get it, get it on the big discount, and you'll be done. I don't think you're I don't think you'll regret that purchase at any point. And with Indiegogo, it's not the same as Kickstarter. If you don't reach your goal, do the you still get the device and you still pay out? Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. Indiegogo lets you. Well, you can see the so Indiegogo have reached. They've reached the funding requirement that they need, and they still have. There's still lots and lots and lots of release features, lots of kind of promotional, kind of give money offers left to go as well. So you can actually build it like that here, where you know. We can raise a lot more money than we're actually asking for by doing this, by exchanging things to people if they want to exchange them. Uh, what's your experience of it, Sam? What do you think? Um, I, I enjoyed the video that they put together, which has like a very f filmatic intro, and then the designer just talking about it in a much more human way. It's. I like the the internal battery seems like a good idea, but again, I think for the price, the full price of this seems way too high to me for what it is for just two inputs. I don't know. Well, that's why now is the time to get it. Now, you have 11 days remaining to get your heavily discounted mixer face if that's an interface that sounds good for you. So, shall we head back to synthesizers? Yes, yes, let's head back to synthesizers. So um, leaked, leaked, um, and le leaked this week and due for some sort of further announcement at NAM Thursday onwards is the Roland Aria 08, um, which is rumored to be a emulated digital 808. Yeah. Well, that's set the world on fire. <laughs> it's drum machine. I'm sure it'll be great, but it, well, the problem is that there's hardly any information here, so we'd just be. Talking about. Mm. Well, let me let me push the story a little bit further, a little, little bit further here for you. So obviously, Korg have been pushing, Korg have been re, you know, the, the vintage sound thing has been been going on for a while. I'm saying I think I often like to think that Korg kind of started it off with the kind of the SV series of keyboards where they brought back all of the kind of original all of the emulation sounds from the kind of 70s and 60s and 70s. And then um, we saw like the kind of Juno releases as well. And then Korg have been putting out. Um, a whole kind of series of kind of re you know kind of iOS re-releases of kind of vintage hardware and things like this as well, and I I guess is this a new theme? Do do we do we think that all of the original sounds are gone, and as a consequence, the the, the place for the synthesizer people to stop focusing is now on emulations of existing vintage pieces of hardware, and in which case I find it interesting that. You go for the emulation rather than the re-release. I'm saying, like, do you not? I, I suspect there's a lot of people out there who would be willing to pay a lot of money for a a brand new 808 or 909 or 303. If they, you know, if they just started making them again, would people is would people not just buy them? And is that is there a reason for not doing that? I think part of the appeal of those instruments is their scarcity, and maybe it would devalue, even though, you know, not in economic terms, just in kind of kudos terms, to have an 808. Then to reissue them might kind of deprecate that. Whereas by taking the idea of the 808 and creating a new instrument around that and pushing it into somewhere new might attract more buyers. Maybe I don't know. I, I would say that the one other thing might be that the original components of an 808 you might not be able to get some of those anymore. So you created hardware-wise, if you're going analog. 
it would be different. They'd probably be able to get very close, and mm. it probably wouldn't be an issue for 99% of the buyers for that type of thing. Yeah. But I suppose I mean, the thing is, it's, it would be expensive, and you can have a emulation or a plug-in or a sample bank of these things for a fraction of the cost. So I suppose it's they're deciding whether it's worth putting all of that effort into creating stuff. And, you know, there is a market for those analog-type things because Moog have come back, Dave Smith has come back, and a lot of Dave Smith's new synthesizers have been really well-received. Um, you've got Arturia making... Um, proper analog equipment, which is brilliant because they they, they were like a, a plug-in maker, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And they decided to go completely the other way and make analog yep. hardware, which is fantastic. And, you know, lots of... there's I think there's a, a decent market. Maybe they just decided... Yeah, maybe they just... They don't want to sully the 808 name by creating a kind of new version of it. Maybe... I don't know. I, yeah. Roland, Roland haven't really done this though. Roland haven't gone and made a an analog version of one of their old things or an analog synthesizer in this day and age. They, they've stayed using their systems, their digital systems. Th that's true, I guess, because even the even the Juno release that happened last that happened last year was you know, but while it was a re you know, it was definitely heavily inspired and sounded incredibly similar. It was nonetheless a definite. This is made using the. This is made using digital technology, and it has these kind of fundamental differences to it. And I, I guess it is interesting, is it? Because when you talk about these ideas of hardware emulations, if you if you know the hardware, the original hardware really well, lots of the characteristics of it are unintentional, are unintentional elements. So like things like on the eight two eight, there was always a filter problem. There were always filter problems where the first couple of first couple of kind of hits down each track were were incorrectly filtered and the filter went from a default position to the correct position but it took it usually two or three excitations to make it to the point that you the point that you had it to and that was like a you know that would be referred you know lots of people if you're like kind of doing kind of a kind of I'm trying to think what a forensic kind of examination of something to recreate its kind of production technique it's that's the kind of thing that you might find there and you discover that it's it's there. It's a consequence of the instrument that was used and the characteristics of the electronics inside it that did it, that made it that. And it'd be interesting saying whether they, you know, it must be an interesting challenge when you come to this thing, whether you try and repair, whether you go for what was originally intended or whether you emulate what was originally, what actually was made, if that makes sense and what the, what the purposes between the two are. I think that's cool. I mean, it'd be cool. I'm saying it's, you know, they're, you know, if with a nice interface, a, a well-considered interface, making it in a very playable way. You know, I mean, these are, you know, it, this could be a device that's a lot of fun to work with, and a lot of fun to play with. If if it's released, we have it's to released, yes. we have to say it's still a rumor, it's still speculation. So I think now we should jump back. We're doing a funny kind of stepping stone thing, so we're now going to jump back to uh, iOS interfaces. But this one's a different kettle of fish. This is an iPad only one made by Focusrite, so high quality and, uh, you know, what what are the details? This is the iTrack dock. <gasps> it's a docking station. You plug your iPad into it, slides on it, it gives you, all, again, just two inputs. This, The continuation, there's always only two inputs on these things. Is that an iOS limitation that, that the DAC can I only have two? That might be an iOS limitation, or it might just be because there's not enough processing available to be able to handle more than that. Mm. Well, in any case, it, mm. it, it has for input one and input two the choice of mic or line connections, or I think there's also an instrument connection on input one for your guitar or whatnot. And then it has jack outputs also for the monitors. So this really is... I don't know. Is this something that they're expecting you to put on your desk at home and use this as your recording? In which case, Scott Hume might have something to say, or is this more of a <laughs> take it out and play on stage of it kind of a thing? I don't know exactly where this fits in. I suppose it could be used for either, but I think it could be used I'm going to plow in. I'm just going to push Adam aside. I'm just going to plow in. <laughs> this is this is a product that Adam's gone. That's this is a product that I I just don't understand the purpose or the point of it. 
in any way whatsoever. So it, it allows me to do high quality recording. It re allows me to record it 24 bit 96k if I want to onto an iPad. Maybe, but any circumstance like let, let, let's just I just want to quantify the whole thing. So if I'm choosing to record at 24 bit 96k, then mm -hmm. I'm deliberately choosing to record at a format far in excess of most playback methods currently available and likely to be available in the near future based on the fact that people seem to prefer smaller files and don't care about the quality issues. So okay. I have a problem with that. No, no, I will I'm come just back pushing to that. Your side, Adam. I'm just pushing your side. I'm <laughs> deliberately... So my, my query to you is this. In which situation do I decide that I want to make an archival quality recording of something that's going to have happened but somehow have only ended up with an iPad and this device, like, why haven't I taken a proper rig for, like, why haven't I done that? That's the bit I don't this, understand, and that's this is where a, I don't. This is a very understand. small rig, though. I think for the, it's kind of it's small. It's not as small as that of one we were talking about, but it's not as big as taking a big mixing desk and other stuff. I don't know. I'm, no, I've. Adam, I, I would like to say two things. Okay, one about your. Uh, oh, uh, recording at 2496 and uh, you'll only ever release it as an MP3. Well, that's a fallacy because you know that when you're doing processing on things, you have to keep the processing quality and the file, uh, the sample rate and the um, sample frequency as high as possible to get the best out of it. So if you're recording at that rate, you then put it into your, you know, even if you transferred it over to your computer, put it in your DAW, at least you are working with the best quality files that you have that you could have made. And then, of course, yes, it's going to get turned down to turned down to MP3, but what's the difference between recording 2496 on an iPad and recording 2496 on your home computer? So that's not an argument for me. I think we can just toss that aside. Um, about the actual format of the thing, it's, it's convenience, isn't it? I mean, you have an iPad. You plug it directly into this box. You've got the controls there. You can plug your guitar or your recording, whatever, your microphone, into here, and you're ready to go. You don't have to have a laptop, a cable, an interface. Um, I mean, it's basically just trying to shortcut things. But I would suggest convenience would be to use something like, um, you know, to use an actual just kind of complete standalone solid state, solid state recording solution. And well, then, yeah. you know, it's like go there, press record, and it records. And I don't need to take the iPad or any any of those other kind of things. I can just take something 100% bulletproof. For that. Do you what if you've already got an iPad? You know, if you've already got an iPad, then you've already got something that's got a very large hard drive. It's got seamlessly endless options for recording software and what's missing is the ability to plug into it and this is a way of doing it without wires a lot of the other things connect mm -hmm. via wire and would you you know you wouldn't want to trust if you want to make a high quality recording then you're not going to want to put it down a little twiddly wire that lives in your coat pocket whereas this is something that it clips into and is solid and that, that's true is... I, I do take that point which is that I, I this is a product for people who have bought iPads don't have anything else and don't want to buy anything else either. I think that's mm, what this is for. I don't know but about I... that. But the other thing about having a solid state recorder is that you just record onto that. But with this, you have the the possibility of in, you know recording into Cubasis, Aurea, GarageBand, and actually building up some kind of uh, arrangement on the device. And then, I mean, you know, what I usually say in these situations is I can understand using an iOS device as a recording system, but not as a mixing system. So I would, and you know, we're talking focus right here, so really good quality preamps, uh, nice controls, simple to use, record all of that stuff into there, wham it on your computer when you get home, and that's where you do your mixing. You've got very high quality files. It's fine, I get it, makes sense. It's not, it's not pretending to be a big mixing system, uh, which, I think it would be a bit of a a bit of a pain, and you probably wouldn't get the detail you'd require. So that's that's where I stand with it. I think it's a a nice idea. How much is this device? Um, I don't think they have to put a price availability <laughs> on it. Here, I'll go check see if I can find a price availability on it. I suspect it's not going to be 
significantly expensive because you know the issue with having companion yeah it's only saying when available let's see if we can find any guide pricing but it's the kind of product where you're not going to over you know I mean you need an iPad so you know I mean you're not going to overprice it something we didn't mention which we should have done actually is it has a USB MIDI port which is something that we're starting to see turn up places and I don't know if um, people have spotted it or not but essentially what it is is it's a reduced spec USB port which supports MIDI input so you can essentially plug a MIDI interface like a USB controller interface into this and receive the MIDI input from it. So there you go, I mean you've got the basis of a small studio again I mean I personally wouldn't use it as a complete studio but okay. it, I get it, I get the point of it. So let me ask you this question okay so because I admit I, it looks like a great interface it, it, it looks good, focus right quality is going to be great so t tell me this right how about rather than it being the full width it is it was only a little bit wider than the controls and there you get two really big maybe like I don't know 30 segment LEDs to give you monitoring input information and on the back of it you have a you have an SD card slot where you can put like a 32 gig SD card or something like that and then all it does is record so you press record and you get it and what you'll get is you know the ability to monitor it this nice thing it's kind of at a presented level you see that's a product which I think would be really exciting for recording for a recording solution, I no. don't see. Does it does it have a, the iPad an interface? Does it have an interface like a touchscreen interface, like an iPad? No, it doesn't. Well, no. then, well, That's then what you it lose uses the iPad for. You lose the ability then to have a sequencer type software where you can record multiple tracks. You can at least basically trim stuff down, place it in the right place on the timeline, and actually arrange a tune uh, on the thing that you've got in front of you. So, yeah, but, as you, but as you're getting back into this, I'm going to use my iPad to as a door to, to do that sort of stuff, which well, we've yeah, argued about many stuff. times. You see, that's the bit I don't like. To use, to use it as, as a basic DAW, as, as kind of like, uh, what's the name of Motu's old uh, thing that used to come with their interfaces? Oh, it still does. Audio Desk still, still comes. But I think maybe GarageBand would be a better candidate, or Audacity perhaps, for your illustration. You know yes, yes. Um, what I have here is I found a price for it on dex.co.uk. They're saying £169. That's actually good. I was expecting it to be like 400 because it's a focus rate. So, but you're um, not paying for a hard drive as you would be with Scott's idea. And oh, but you said no. You you saying about going straight to SD? Hmm. Good. I good know, for, I... At least you could transfer the files over. Okay, but it's still. Oh, it's still quite basic. I, we're, we're, it's it's show one hundred. I think we can get away with having a long show, an epic one, and people won't mind. So I'm just going to keep <laughs> I'm going to keep antagonizing you both on this for a little bit longer. Just, but you see, the problem I have with this entire thing is right. Every time I've gone somewhere and I've ended up using because I've ended up using an iPad to do some stuff. Like this because a lot of people don't realize, but even the original iPad um, has a triple has a triple ring input on it, so you can use like a like a headset and mm -hmm. talk to the original iPad and you could run Skype and stuff. So you can record into an original iPad. Um, and I've done that a few times just using that input there. But the thing that's always happened is I've been doing something and the actual recording process, fine, you know, like that, that's always kind of worked. But then what happens is somebody walks up to me and they're asking me, if some, they're asking me like some sensible piece of information like, oh, do you know what time we're running to? Or do you know what time I need, you know, do you know what who's on next? Or, you know, or can I have, could you, can I have your email address or your contact details to do something like this, you see? All those moments. And at that point there, what ends up happening is I have to go into my bag and get my laptop out so I can turn it on to get the information that they've just asked me for. And at the point where I'm having to do that... Where's your phone? Where's your phone? But you see, but the point where you, at the point where you're having to do that, it strikes me as a better idea to be using the laptop for the recording and the iPad as the kind of mobile wander very, around and do different that's things. That's a very specific situation. Really, but isn't it? That that is one that I've been in every time I've attempted saying, to use an iPad. That's you're the also saying that because recording through the top port on an on an iPad uh, and recording in the in the way that this Focusrite thing does actually use can use two different systems in the app, two different APIs in the app. So it could be that the API you're using for the uh, the kind of multi-channel stuff is actually able to run in the background, and you could go out of the app. And record. I mean, we haven't. We don't know if that's how it works. You haven't been able to test it. Well, that, that, that's very true. But I, I would suggest to you, uh, like the number one piece of advice I always give, 
I, I give students and, and anybody who asks me about recording things is if you're recording if you're recording stuff, if you're recording audio, if you're recording video, if you're doing anything like that, then you should ask the computer to do you know, you say to the computer or whatever the device is, do that, and then you don't touch it. You you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. that's part of the reason why we used to turn off, you know, turn off Dropbox and you know, sometimes you know I'll but turn off Wi Fi if I'm really for, paranoid. But, so hmm? what you could actually do is leave your laptop at home take the iPad with you and you'll always have your phone with you for all of the other little things that you have to do. So you, you're actually just carrying around a much smaller computer that's completely capable of doing all the recording you need. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, whatever. We're going to have to take a chainsaw to this and we're going to have to talk about chainsaw sound effects. Fantastically done indeed. So, uh, Frank Bry of The Recordist Frank announced Bree. the release. Frank Bry, I always do, one, of The Recordist <laughs> announced the release of Chainsaw HD Pro, the SFX library. There we go. Which is cool. Um, I, I had, had a quick exchange of tweets with Frank, and he uh, assured me that no microphones met their maker. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was kind of cool. Some crazy close ups, Doppler passbys, and ambient settings. This is the SFX library that is too dangerous to make yourself. I bet there's like a, a chainsaw on idle like sample set and then it's uh, revved up to maximum and uh, going from idle to maximum and all this kind of stuff. You could probably spend years creating the, the contact library for it. Yeah. It, it says uh, if you need that crazy zombie saw slasher, whoosh, it's here. <laughs> There you go. And you know what that means? That means we've actually gotten to the end of the news. Wow, it's really? only taken about 50 minutes. I think we missed something, you know. <laughs> no, let's go. Uh, well, no, no, we... I've reloaded the page and there isn't anything else there. So uh, There is definitely something missing, but that'll be on next week's show. If there's something missing, we'll do it next week. So now we'll go to the uh, very, very well-specified other section. This is other this week for the simple reason that it's the other occurs between news and plunder, and this is a plunder item which is new this week, so it's kind of new, but not quite plunder. Anyway, <laughs> it's, a, um, it's an article I was linked to by someone who thought I might be interested, and I am. It's a cool-looking little DIY project for adding a MIDI touchpad thing to your Ooh, guitar. Okay, and it like documents... Like, yeah. So every time I try and look at the page, something opens. Careful if you are you clicking on this page. It's one of them where... If you click on the background, it takes you somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, but my okay. eyes are exploding right now. Yeah. So this is on um, PremierGuitar.com, and yeah, I think, look, I've, I've not gone through it in detail, but it looks exciting. So it's kind of plundery news type thing. That, that's, that's very good. I'm just going to distract us completely here. Could we? I don't. Adam, have you gone to this page? Yeah. W would you all agree with me that that Korg advert is one of the most offensive visual adverts you've ever seen? On a web page. I can't see it. Where is it? No, it must, must be a different one to us. I haven't oh, seen that. I hit refresh. It's at the very top. It like just comes out and it's like flashing yellow and blue and has this thing and this. Oh, it's just like. No, it's not on my one. Right. It's not on my one. It's like, I'll tell you what. This. I mean, it makes it seem like it's quite easy, but this uh, MIDI pad for your guitar thing is incredibly complicated. They just happen to be doing it with a guitar that has a huge square hole at the bottom by the bridge that's already built into the guitar with with a like a metal chassis and all the <laughs> screw holes and everything so oh, I don't know I think this one is like advanced you'd have to basically cut up a, gu a guitar to do this <laughs> and that's before you do the electronics okay <laughs> okay yeah, I love you, yeah. Okay, okay. okay fine fine should we plunder right. then? Plunder. Arr. Arr. Well, actually, no, no, before we hit the plunder, I have to mention this oh. thing. Before we hit the plunder, um, in Tenuously and Amongst the Other as well, you're also discovering that the audio podcast is now available inside the G-Potter listings as well. So if you have an Android device, then, um, or you run on a Linux platform, or you don't like using iTunes and choose to use something else on Windows or OS X, then uh, gpodder.net, and you'll find the audio podcast at podcast slash the dash audio dash podcast, where you can subscribe to us there as well, and it's kind of like, kind of similar to iTunes, but doesn't require an iOS device, so, no. And of course, that's that cool. was a okay. very non-convoluted URL as well. Very easy to remember. Yeah. Awesome stuff. <laughs> That's cool. cool. All right, so let's get into the plunder, and we start with the 
the issue that's on everybody's lips, the <laughs> the quality of net of sound over network cables. I mean, I don't know why we haven't covered this before because it's just it's absolutely vital that we know about this. Scott, tell us about it. Well, um, I, I will put my genuine head on on this matter here. So it has been suggested that the quality of Ethernet cable that you use to connect your audio, your, your streaming media player and your storage has an impact on the audio that you actually listen to. Adam looks stunned. Um, but so there we go. So first of all, a couple of caveats. This is first of all within the local area environment. So this isn't like across the internet. We're talking within your house. So this is within a controllable space. So you could obviously, if you want to, if you have appropriate equipment, you could, you know, set this up and experiment with it yourself. And the other bit of detail, which might not be apparent to everybody, is the fact that there is different. Um, we tend to refer to Ethernet cable as Ethernet cable, and we tend to just just use Ethernet cable. You know, it's for you know, if you don't know what an Ethernet cable is, it's like a big telephone cable. Maybe I guess is one way of describing it. That's what that's what it is. Probably. I think mind. our listeners probably know what an Ethernet. Well, I, cable I know, is. I know, I know, but I'm sure they found that descriptor funny, so that was okay. But um, <laughs> the, the but the issue with Ethernet is Ethernet has this beautiful history of kind of of lies in that we refer to you know we refer to 10 meg. So we have, you know, 10 meg fast Ethernet, and then we have 100 meg Ethernet, and we've got the gigabit Ethernet, and we've got 10 gigabit Ethernet, and we're, you know, 100 100 bit Ethernet is is about to turn up as well, sort of stuff. Um, but those numbers are all fairly meaningless because in reality it runs at about 30% of its potential, and as a consequence of that, nobody ever really paid any attention to the kind of cable the cabling they were using because it didn't really matter. So like, um, Cat5 cabling is only really good to 100 meg, but as Gigabit Ethernet really only runs at around about a couple, around about 100 meg anyway. It doesn't particularly matter that you can't, but you should really be using Cat6 instead. And in reality, there's Cat7 as well, which are higher quality cables that you can use to do this job. So what's being so? The reason I just explained that is because there is actually different classifications of Ethernet cable which are rated for different purposes, and that there are potential reasons for that being the case. Okay, So what's being said here is if you use the expensive Cat7 Ethernet cables you will notice the difference when you play the audio back over a streaming, over a kind of local network in a streaming scenario. You don't seem to believe me. No, because I mean audio cables, like analog audio cables, that's different to networking cables which is digital and I've, yeah, there could be a, a very slight... I can't imagine it makes that much difference. It's, well, it strikes me that this is... The theory goes like this. This is an audio thing, and we know that uh, serious audio files absolutely know that they need to get the best cables possible. And these cables are better than these cables. Let's apply that, now that they're getting network players to play music off their NAS, let's apply that to the network cables as well, and you know, shaft them for even more money, effectively. Well, yeah, to, to give you an idea, so the story's, um, the, the story was reported to us Extreme Tech, Sam, uh, Sam Biotic gave us the link actually via Twitter, thanks for that, Sam, um, from Extreme Tech, and in there, the playback, the, the streaming player is actually a NAD M50, which is a $3,000 <laughs> gaming audio player. So, I, I do agree. I do agree with you, Adam, in terms of the assessment there. I, I would, however, having reported the story, and obviously the links are online, you can go have a look at it and all this sort of stuff. I, I would, however, like to clarify my position to being firmly in the camp that Adam is representing, in that I, <laughs> you know, what I mean, like you you get a digital bit there, you get it there. You don't get it there. You you don't get it there. There is no quality of the digital bit. And yes, is high, high quality a... cables can get you further. But they don't change the quality; they just change the they change it from being delivered to not delivered. You know. And I mean? is the with Ethernet is that a system where it'll send it, and if it doesn't receive, it'll send it again? Or am I thinking of a different network? I think well, when we're talking in the context of streaming audio, then you've got the audio samples being sent, and either they're received or they're not. And okay. if if you're getting audio dropout, then you know if you're receiving some of them but not others for some reason, then maybe you would get a degradation of the signal at the output. And you would hear 
maybe yeah, but some it wouldn't change the, problems, but we couldn't change the quality of it though. I mean, because on my on my network, I've got uh, I've got a network player, and it's actually connected on Wi-Fi, and I'm streaming Flax, and they play back fine. You know, so I can only assume that if you're running a a Cat five Ethernet cable, you're you've got so much more bandwidth. So really, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, no, it's. There are lots of bit. I'm saying, if you're interested in this, you could take a look. There is a full, the full article includes network topology graphs, so you can actually see how it's all cabled and wired, and how it's switching through things and stuff like that. Which has, you, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe it. I still don't believe it. However, this is nearest anybody's ever got to convincing me of this kind of argument, and that's purely because of the detail and consideration that has actually gone into gone into it. I would say, if you think about it, we've talked a lot about super expensive cables. You remember, we've, we've joked about those, haven't we, and like, you know, super expensive digital cables. So we even found that great YouTube video a couple of, like, last year, didn't we, about, or maybe two years ago about that, which, which was a lot of fun. You can look back in the show notes to go find those. People are interested. And, but the thing that always hits me about this stuff is the beauty of audio is it is very, very difficult to prove definitively in any way. And even if you do, the subjective decision at the end actually becomes far more important anyway. So... Mm. You know what I mean? And I, we've already joked about this once, but as, as I advocate, you know, I think our concerns about quality are increasingly pointless because everybody chooses to listen. You know, the vast majority of people choose to consume stuff in less than ideal listening er, listening conditions to the absolute, absolute extreme. So, you know what I mean? But then at the same point, I would presume that if you spent £3,000 on a, on a me streaming media player, you've probably spent at least that on an amplifier and mm -hmm. at least that on a set of speakers, and, and so probably you've got the money a third to... of that on a on cabling linking it all together. So at that point, yeah. why not? You've got enough Cat... money to buy a Cat Seven over a Cat Five cable, so it's a kind of pointless argument anyway. You know what's just come to my mind though is okay. the audiophiles, people who have an amazing living room um, stereo system, and they get amazing cables, but then in the studio context. You'll just go and you'll get some XLR cables, and it, it it doesn't really matter. I mean, you just know that if you get this particular kind of XLR cable or a, a balanced jack cable, that you're going to get good quality, and you don't ever think about it. So, and and actually, these cables are actually cheaper, or at least the same price as buying mm. these hyper expensive cables to connect your amplifier to your speakers. So, where does that come in? Why is it? Why is that the, the, the case? I, I have this theory that one of the issues that we deal with is is the simple fact that XLR cables. I don't know why it is, but it, you you really struggle to find cheap XLR cables. Like, you know, they they just don't exist. I don't know if you've tried to do it recently, but even if you go to like eBay and kind of look for Far East manufacturers, you'll still find that getting an XLR cable with two ends, you know, getting a one meter XLR cable with two ends fitted is going to be at least five pounds. You know, like, they just don't make super cheap cables, whereas five you can get pounds. it. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Well, well, like, for a one meter coming from the Far East without import, you know what I'm saying? It'd be more than that when it arrives here. Whereas if you go and have a look for a quarter inch jack to quarter inch jack, you'll find that you can find that stuff at, like, you know, you can oh. find that stuff at sub a pound easily. And I think there is just a fundamental... There is a fundamental kind of quality requirement of the thing. I suspect in many ways it's actually the two large, heavy, expensive blocks of metal at either end which provide the kind of minimum sort of price. It's like so, once you've got these two heavy things and it has to cost this much, you might as well pay, rather than pay a penny, you might as well pay two pence for a good cable in the middle because it's... But if so you're in the market for then. a specific type of XLR, then you're likely to be putting it together yourself maybe as well. You're going to buy in bulk a whole bunch of jacks, a whole bunch of cable all in one go yeah. and solder up whatever it is that you need. Well, here's, here's the question. So why don't the, uh, why doesn't the, the home stereo crew just use the professionals? I mean, I know apart from the fact that they don't have the, the correct connectors on, but why not have an amp that connects up to the speakers using XLR cables? And you know what? When I connected the speaker cables to my stereo down here, I found it so frustrating because it was like you had to peel the cable back and then you had to run it into the little thing and twist the thing and XLR cable, bam, straight in. I just, I don't get it. I don't get why they then just well, yeah. make it with if, the studio. If you think about it, I'm saying those Genelecs that we were talking about earlier on, that, that could be an ideal, there's an ideal possible case study. It's, you know, two small Genelecs easily, you know, 
easy to install, very similar to install, take a high quality professional input into them. You could run that from a professional quality, you know, professional quality sound card, XLR all the way. You know, I'm saying there's there's a lot yeah, to ask. Studio monitors come with XLR or balance jack inputs, but speakers that you get for your home stereo, even if they're really, really good ones, will come with bare wire connectors that take half an hour to connect up. And I just I don't get it. Why don't they just standardize and well it's probably because it's too late now because everyone uses the system that they use. It, well, it there's is these two completely discrete markets though. There's the the pro recording market and the pro listening market. They're completely separate. They don't they're different in every respect. I and mean, it's it's a mystery to me too why that would be. Yeah. Wow. I, I guess that one part of it is probably if you it's it's probably a kind of cosmetic sort of design issue as well because the phono connector is a horrific object in terms of every way. It's like it, you know, let let's list its faults. It doesn't lock. It has a very small contact area. It's easy to cause the wrong part of the contacts to connect. Like if you if you're just praying around, you can easily hit the earth, you know, hit the earth down the side of the thing, and you know, kind of you can stuff it up like that. They're they're poor quality. They they break really easy. They protrude outside of the chassis no matter what you do. You know what I mean? Like there's. There's lots of problems with it, but the advantages of it are really simple. It's really, really cheap to make. It's it's just and a, it's a solid connection. Thing. When it's plugged in, it's plugged in pretty solid. But they the, but the rating of a phono socket is really low. I'm saying like as they say, the idea is you plug something in and never change it, never move it. That is the whole that's the whole purpose behind it, sort of stuff. But then with the with this stereo equipment, you're not actually running a balanced connection. Um, it, it's all done unbalanced, effectively. So. I don't know. Is there is there a balanced system where you have a three core cable or something? Well, no, they don't run balanced systems. I guess there is an argument you could say. Like I'm just 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 playing here a little bit, but I guess you could say that balanced cabling excuses you from solving pro fundamental problems. So you might link two pieces of hardware together. There be a problem, but because of the fact that you're balanced cabled, you don't find you don't have any. There's no consequences of the problem sort of stuff. Mm. Whereas if, you know I mean, if, if say, you know, if I use my phono cable to connect my 5,000 pound amplifier and 5,000, you know, pound CD player together and there's a buzz between them, then there's a problem. I'm going to need to fix that problem and there's a good chance somebody can sell me a 1,000 pound <laughs> mains extension which will do something magic and get rid of that, you know, get rid of that kind of buzz there. I suppose so that's I, another... I wonder if that's part of the argument actually, is it? Is it just, you know... Well, I wonder also... If home stereo equipment's probably as expensive as really good quality studio equipment is, so I don't know. That's just a, an observation. But I think we could probably talk about this to the end of the earth and never actually get a, a solution or an answer or anything. So I think maybe we should move on to the most beautiful sound the most beautiful ever in the world. Sound in the world. Was that it? Was that the most beautiful? That, is that, is that, yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> Now, I was going to say that that can't be it. <laughs> we might be able to play it, but I don't know if we. I don't know. I didn't check. I had intended to check, and I hadn't. But the most beautiful sound in the world was recorded by Wild Ambience and is entitled "Dusk by the Frog Pond," and it's available on SoundCloud. Or you it's you just, can play it from our show notes. It's yeah. Embedded there as well. That's what I did. did and how did you find it, Adam? Oh, it was very pleasant. Yeah, I thought. I mean. It's very subjective, isn't it? Best sound in the world. There are probably other sounds that I would prefer, but it's a very good sound. I'd check it out and see what you think. Sam? Um, I actually thought it would... I listened to it on my headphones. I enjoyed it. But I thought that it would sound better on speakers. Sometimes sounds better. things sound better in your headphones. Sometimes they sound better on speakers. This struck me as like it would... Nice pair of speakers in a, in a neutral room would be far more beautiful than... Than it was on my headphones. Maybe I need better headphones. Who knows? Depends how it was recorded. Mm. I yeah, I I don't know the answer to those questions. There you go. I'd like to say. What what I can however say is there should be there is a link and the link takes you to the sound agency site where the runners up are all there as well. There's an interview with the person who made the decision, the team that made the decisions. Also an interview with the person who recorded it as well. So you can probably get that information off that and listen to the other ones and so many of the sounds are really quite quite pleasant as well and quite interesting which was which was very nice, nice. and um, was kind and of 
you, you know what, guys? I think we've made it. No way. I think we can actually say that we've got a hundred episodes of the audio podcast completed, almost. Incredible. And, uh, and we're going to move on to hopefully another beautiful 100 shows, another centenary. In approximately three and a bit years. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's aim for two. I think if we, do, if we do actually do one a week, for, we could probably make it by 2016. 2016. Maybe so. Even with six-month holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the six-month holiday that most people, yeah, the six-month holiday <laughs> normally take, the one that begins in February and ends at some other point in the year. That's it. No, no. We will return. The, the audio podcast return. will continue. Um, so and very likely next week there'll be a, uh, a, another Pro Tools update. There won't be a Logic update, but if there is, we'll have a huge half-an-hour discussion about it. Uh, something about headphones? Uh, I don't oh, yeah, know. Let's get some more headphones in. Yeah. We, we have a, there is a little headphone uh, special coming up in the in the future, actually, which is quite exciting. And, uh, and and a lot more chat between myself, Scott, and Sam, of course. Of course, yeah. So with that, don't forget, if you've enjoyed the show, you know, let us know. Tweet us at the Audio Podcast. Hit the subscribe button either in iTunes, Gpodder, or on YouTube if you want. Follow us on G+. And you can watch us record this show live and have the opportunity to offer your own insights via Twitter, which we will surely share with the group. But with that said, this is the, uh, yeah, let's bring it to the end. So this has been the audio podcast, episode 100. I've been Scott here, and I've actually had a blast, and it's been a pleasure these last 100 episodes. 100! Um, <laughs> I am Samuel Freeman. I'm, yeah, I, I will continue to be. And Adam Manch is over there, who's 100 shows of the audio podcast. I'm Adam Yanch. And I think with this little tune, we will end the show. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.